Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray. Father, uh, open our minds to hear well and our hearts to change as needed. And we ask this in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ. Amen. As I pondered this text and this concept of being peacemakers, there are really about five different streams of thought that came to my mind, of any of which would have been very good to spend our time going down the road of those. I'm only going to do one, the fifth one, but I want to walk you through the first four just very quickly and maybe also share why I'm focusing on the fifth. The first stream of thought that came to my mind was peace with God. And as Mike talked about, and I appreciate that so much, Mike, in our communion thoughts, that's done, praise God. Uh, he did that for us at the cross, and that was the only way. My text really was the text he read, Matthew, uh, Romans 5, verse 1, and uh, where he says, we've been justified through faith, and we have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that really our communion time today and really every week is a celebration of that truth and that reality. The second stream of thought I pondered was the idea of acting as a peacemaker or kind of a mediator to try to bring peace when there's conflict between other people. And the first thought that came to my mind as I pondered that was from some of my own experiences being thrust into that, and it was a thought of beware. Because it's never gone very good for me when I've been in that place. And I've been that professionally in what I do as a lawyer. I catch myself into that. I actually tell clients today that I have other lawyers in my office that handle that. If you're going to fight, I give you to them. <clears throat> so, because I'm just done with that for the most part. And I've been in that role as an elder and a friend, <clears throat> sometimes trying to save a marriage, sometimes trying to save a family relationship, or just a couple of brothers in the church that are at odds. And what I found was, most of the time, when I worked through all that, I wanted peace more than they did. And that was fundamentally a problem, you know? And I'm reminded of the words Jesus in Luke 12, or the story about Jesus, said someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I've heard that, literally. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? And he didn't go there. So beware. The third stream of thought that I came to was this idea of resolving conflict that I have with another person or another person has with me. You know, and Jesus spoke to that several times. We kind of know what to do. It's just hard, so we don't do it. I remind the words in Luke 17 where he says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. He sins against you seven times in a day. And seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Then I thought it was really interesting. Right after that, it says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Yeah, 
Maybe that takes a lot of faith to do that. And in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile or tax collector. So let me tell you, I want to make sure we all understand this. When someone comes to you complaining about someone else and what they've done, you know what to say, don't you? Just in case, here's what you say. What did they say when you talked to them about it? Do you got that? What did they say when you talked to them about that? That usually kind of ends the conversation, doesn't it? Because they haven't talked to them about it. They'd rather talk about them rather than to them. And in Matthew 5, verse 23, a little later in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, in regard to the situation where I've got some problem with somebody, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So this is hard stuff. We tend not to do it because it's hard. But I think maybe if we explore this fifth stream that I'm going to talk about, maybe we'll be more willing to do this hard stuff. Do it better and have the intended result. The fourth stream of thought that I pondered was this idea of the ministry of reconciliation. That's us helping others find peace with God. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 5, eight, or 2 Corinthians 5, excuse me, 18 through 20, where he talks about we have this ministry of, mes- of reconciliation, we have the message of reconciliation, and we are like these ambassadors for Christ. And I want to do that, and I want us to do that. And I think if we follow through on this fifth stream I'm going to talk about, we're going to be really much better equipped to do that in the world. And so the fifth stream, and here it is, and here's where we're going to spend our time, is this idea of inner peace. The idea that being people in whom the peace of Christ truly rules in our hearts. Like Paul talked about in Colossians 3, verse 15. Why is this so important? And I think it really is. Uh, Several years ago, uh, Brad Thompson and I were talking, and he recommended a book to read, and Brad recommends a book. I want to read that, so I did. It was the book, The Anatomy of Peace, uh, written uh, by a group called the Arbinger Institute, a management consulting group uh, that's very faith-based. And it says uh, two quotes I want to share from that book. The first one, we can't be agents of peace until our own hearts are at peace. I think that's true. And the second, the world's hope for outward peace depends most fully not on the peace we seek without, but on the peace we establish within. I think that's really true. No way I might put it is, if we don't get to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of our hearts, 
all we're really doing is treating symptoms and ignoring the core problem, the core issues. So then the question is, how do we become people in whom the peace of Christ rules in our hearts? How do we do that? Probably some of the most uh, well-known, famous words on this issue from Jesus come in John 16, 33. And he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Amen? But take heart. I have overcome the world. And I got thinking about that, that first part of that text where he says, I've told you these things. And I got thinking, well, what did he tell them? And if you remember, uh, this is part of a very lengthy uh, discussion where Jesus is sharing tons of things with them, starting in chapter 14, maybe even in 13, really, when he washes their feet, through chapter 17. Immediately before, he's going to the garden. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten and insulted and killed, crucified. So these are important things. And so beginning, I went back to chapter 14. I just began there, and I was kind of looking at, okay, what are some of the things he told them that should give them peace? Number one, chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. So number one, trust God. Let me tell you, I don't care what's going on in the world, how bad you think it is, or in the church, or wherever, or in your family, God still reigns. God is in control. He's doing his work in the world, even when you don't see it. It's happening. Several years ago, <clears throat> I had a conversation out here in the foyer. Got here early. I was welcoming people. And I could have this conversation probably about every week with someone. But that morning, it was a sweet sister that a lot of you, if you've been here very long, you remember, Mary Needhart. Mary Needhart was just as good as gold. And uh, she came in that morning, and she was sitting. We had those pews back there against that for uh, the back of the foyer over there and she was sitting on that pew and I could tell she was just not in a good state she was agitated she was bothered worried about something so I went over there and I just sat down by her <clears throat> and I said Mary what's going on and she said oh Jerry it's just it's just awful and I said what's awful and she just started sharing about stuff she'd seen on the news and how bad things are in the world and how are things just, you know, falling apart and all this kind of stuff. And I looked at her and I said, Mary, you know God's still in control. Even when it doesn't look like it, God's got this. And you could just see this kind of change, this peace come over because she had just forgotten for a moment, you know? And, and I'll tell you, if, if, your, if your faith is in some political party or political leader or business leader or the economy or some sports team or even a way of doing church, you probably ought to be concerned because those come and those go. But if our faith and where we stand is with an understanding that God is in control and we're in his kingdom, then even though those things may have concerns to us, we are at peace. We're at peace. I'm, <clears throat> I'm reminded, in the, as I've talked about this, and I told Ryan this, the song that kept coming to my mind as I was preparing for this is, 
Edward Bickerstaff's song, Peace, Perfect Peace. <clears throat> and the first part of every verse is kind of a question. And the second part's an answer. And I especially love the fifth verse, Peace, Perfect Peace. Our future all unknown. Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. Remember that. Remember that. A lot of us in the last few years have been exposed in some little discipleship groups we've been in to the teachings, the books, the writings, and even podcasts from James Brian Smith. And boy, that's been a real blessing. And I love one of the things that uh, James mentions over and over again in some of his writings and in his podcasts. You are part of the unshakable kingdom of God, and the kingdom is never in trouble. Do you believe that? Secondly, in John 14, 16, 17, 26, 27, he says, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. For he lives with you and will be in you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Number two, I think what he's saying is he's telling them, the Spirit, I'm going to go away, you know, and, and that's disturbing to him. He says, I want to send then the Holy Spirit, the counselor, to be not only with you, but in you. So number two, know that you are not alone. God's Spirit is in you. Number three, John 15, verse 5, he says, and it's kind of the beginning of the whole dissertation for 15 verses or more of this idea of abiding with, with him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. You know, I think that's one of the things that causes us to be somewhat lacking in peace is we just feel like we need to be doing something. And, we, and, and we're frustrated when that something doesn't work well. Uh, we, we see all the problems in the world and we want it fixed. And our attempts sometimes don't do well at that. <clears throat> and we get frustrated. And I think he's saying... Number three, always stay deeply connected to Jesus. Stay connected to him, and you'll bear much fruit. Your life will be a life of purpose and, and ministry. In John 16, <clears throat> he begins to return to this idea about the Holy Spirit. And look what he says in verse 8. He says, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes... He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And he goes on to talk about how he's going to do that. It dawned on me one day. It's not on me. It's not all on me. I used to think, you know, I got I to gotta tell people about their sin. You know what? He says, Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin. It took a big burden off of me. That doesn't mean I don't speak truth and love. But it just changes all that, you know? And so number four, know that it's not on you. God is at work in the world through his Holy Spirit. Even sometimes when we don't see it, it's happening. <clears throat> John 16 then, a little later he says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now is the time of your grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice 
and no one will take away your joy. Think about it, just a few hours, they're going to see him arrested, beaten, unfairly tried, and then convicted and executed. And they are going to grieve, and they're going to be in fear. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen to them? There is a time they will weep and mourn because he is killed. But then three days later, joy in the morning as he is raised from the dead. Death has no more dominion over him. Resurrection happens, which means even more than just Jesus being raised. That's huge. That means we all have hope of the resurrection. It also means he's fixing everything. Death was the ultimate weapon of sin. If he's got that, he's got all the rest, folks. So, number five, be joyous because of the resurrection. Because it is evidence that God is making all things right. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. A lot of y'all know that. And it's much more than just the absence of conflict. It encompasses the ideas and concepts of peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, welfare, uh, tranquility, flourishing. It is, as one author has put it, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation. Injustice, fulfillment, and delight. It means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. In other words, the way things ought to be. And in fact, it was the way things were in the beginning, and then sin entered the picture. Sin breaks shalom. Sin brings enmity between where there was shalom, enmity between mankind and God, which we've talked about and has been reconciled, between people between even a person's own heart or in the person's own heart, kind of a broken, divisive conflict within them. It even brings a kind of enmity between people and the rest of creation. But then came Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the perfect child of God, whose whole mission was to restore shalom that was lost. Through Jesus, the enmity that existed between us and God, between each other, that existed in my own heart and life and between us and creation, has been reconciled and is being reconciled. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When we receive his precious gift of peace, and remember he says, I give it to you. We receive it, I think, by the things we've talked about. Trusting in him, living in the companionship of his Holy Spirit, abiding in him, joining his work in the world, and living with joy in the truth of the power of the resurrection then we become a lot more like Jesus. A lot like a child of God. In fact, we might be even accused of being children of God. And then also joyful ministers of reconciliation in the world. Over the last, it's just been really interesting, the last two or three weeks, 
I have had multiple conversations with a lot of people, but I can think of and reminded this morning of conversations with about five people just in the last couple of weeks that were just incredible conversations. And some of them were dealing with great difficulties in their life. One facing uh, a terminal diagnosis of cancer that will take his life. It's just a matter of time. Um, others have been through a lot of struggles and difficulties and things. Some maybe not so much. But all five of them, it's so interesting, <clears throat> shared with me how they view the Bible, how they view the world, and it was through this idea that we've talked about, the story, the story of the Bible and the kingdom of heaven, which has come, not fully, but is still coming. And they talked about how when they see it that way, and they see what God's doing and how he is on this trajectory of bringing things and making all things new again, they have such hope and optimism and joy. And it was awesome to see and hear. And when you live with that, you live with optimism, you live with expectations, good expectations of what God is doing in the world, and you live with joy. You know, and then something happens too. You don't spend all your energy and your emotions and your talents and your gifts frustrated and wrestling with how do we deal with the crud that we're hearing about and seeing, either in the news or at our church or whatever. Instead, you're free to use all that energy and your talents and your gifts and your emotion to join what God's doing in the world. You live out of that instead of worry and fear. And that's a good place to be. And then you're in a place to see what he's doing in the world, join him in that work, to fix what is broken, to redeem what was lost, and to advance the kingdom of God in the world. I want to ask our elders and ministers and their spouses to go to their places around the auditorium and what I'm, what I'm going to kind of do this morning, ask you to do when uh, this last song is sung and Ryan leads us in that, or even afterwards as you're exiting, if there's an area in your heart that you're just really struggling to find peace, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your work, maybe it's with what's going on in the world, maybe it's something in your family, maybe it's something that's going on in your church, whatever it is, go to them. And just share that with them and ask them to pray with you for peace. Start with that today. We're going to close by, I've got several texts that uh, Craig's going to just show on the screen. He's going to scroll through these screens. And I want you to just sit as those are scrolling through and ponder those texts for a few minutes. And then when that's completed, Ryan will lead us in our closing song. Peace, brothers, perfect peace.